Well, as we were singing that last song, I was praying, even as I sung, uh, I do hope you see where we're going this morning already. The blood of Christ covers us. We've been forgiven. And we can stand in the presence of a holy God. One of my favorite authors, some people don't like him, I like him, Walker Percy, written a lot of fiction stuff. He died in the late 90s. Southern Catholic writer, somewhat like Flannery O'Connor, writing on the, the human condition. He asked this question in one of his letters to a friend. Why is it that no other species but man gets bored? Under the circumstances in which a man gets bored, a dog usually goes to sleep. And I don't know for sure. Um, he seems to be on to something there. I, I was thinking about that quote, and, and uh, believe it or not, I, we have cats at my house. And I don't ever see my cats getting bored. Believe it or not, you probably won't want to hear this, but we have a rabbit at my house. And if anybody should get bored, that rabbit should get bored, but that rabbit doesn't seem to get bored. Why is it that human beings struggle so much with boredom? Could it be that animals, for the most part, they do what they were created to do, at least more so than you and I? See, I'm going to make the case today in this sermon, even as Rob has already pointed out before we read Psalm 115, make the case today that mankind, all of us, you and me, young and old, man and female, man and woman, we've been created to worship. We were created to live with our Creator, to be in His presence, even as Adam and Eve were in the presence of God, walked in the cool of the day before the fall. And it doesn't, doesn't matter whether or not you believe in God, whether you're an atheist here this morning, maybe an agnostic, maybe you say you're not religious, maybe you don't believe it. You all worship, we all worship something. What do you love? What matters most to you? What is it that motivates you to get up in the morning? Because whatever that is, that's what you worship. We are worshiping beings. That's what it means to be created in the image of God. That's what makes us human. And this morning, what we're going to see is that God, through Jesus Christ, has opened up the way into His presence so that we can truly be with Him, so that we can worship so that we can enter into His presence, so that we can be made whole again. And because we're made whole again in the presence of God, we can live in hope, and we can love other people, and we can do it all together as God's people. You see, deep down inside, I don't think, even if you're a Christian here this morning, deep down inside, I don't think we realize how much our Creator, the God of the universe, loves us, and because we don't realize how much God loves us, we really don't, deep down inside, like ourselves. And because we really don't like ourselves all that much, it's really hard to love other people. 
In contrast to that, Jesus Christ has opened up the way to God so that we can have faith, so that we can have hope, and so that we can love together as a people. So with that, I'd invite you to open up your word or turn in your bulletins to Hebrews chapter 10. And I'm just going to read verses 19 through 25 here this morning. This is God's Word. We don't know who the writer to this letter is, to the letter of the Hebrews, but we ultimately know that it was inspired by God and it's for our good. So hear now the reading of God's Word. Hebrews 10, beginning in verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says three things because of this. He says, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And then he says, number two, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And then lastly, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day, Drawing near. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you this morning that already we have talked about, sung about, and prayed about your love for us seen in Jesus Christ. We ask now that your spirit would open up our eyes and soften our hearts, that we would meet with you through your word. We ask for your glory. We ask for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're visiting with us this morning, we're in the midst of a a summer series on the means of grace, right? And uh, if, if you haven't been a Presbyterian for more than, I don't know, 10 years, you probably have no clue. Maybe you, are, you have been a Presbyterian for 20 years. What does it mean when we say means of grace? A few weeks ago, Rob introduced our subject with this definition of grace. He defines grace. I think it's a, it's a great definition. Uh, the, the, the definition that we talked about a few weeks ago, grace is... God's relational disposition to us, characterized by by not only the unmerited gift, but the demerited gift of Jesus Christ. So when we talk about grace, we're not just talking about some vague idea. We're not even primarily, although it's true, we're not even primarily talking about grace as an attribute of God, although although it's true that, that God is gracious. When we talk about grace, we are primarily, as Christians, talking about a person. Grace is all about Jesus Christ, who he is and what he's done for us. Grace is a person. When we talk about means of grace, what we're talking about are these things, these tools, these even events that God gives us 
which objectively reveal grace to us, which is revealing Jesus to us. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this or not, but, but I will. If you've been around Redeemer more than, I don't know, six weeks, you've probably heard Hal speak about what we do in worship is, is we come to a big aircraft carrier. This is like our aircraft carrier. We've been out flying with, with our friends, sometimes solo, out in the world, and we've been, we've been sharing the gospel, living out the gospel, and every Sunday morning, every Lord's Day, we fly back onto the, the, the uh, aircraft carrier to get refueled, to get rest, to get renewed. Well, I want to, I didn't ask for permission to do this. I hope this is okay, but I'm going to change the picture a little bit. It's an aircraft carrier that's not powered by nuclear power or some type of diesel engine. It's an aircraft carrier empowered by sails. The sailboat, you all know, um, when the wind blows, moves the ship. The means of grace are like the sails that we lift up so that God's Spirit can blow and He can draw us closer to where we need to go so that we can be in His presence. And that looks kind of dumb to the world, right? Wouldn't it look pretty ridiculous for an aircraft carrier to be moved along by sails? But God gives us these means of grace that that don't seem to have much power from the world's standpoint. But when God's Spirit flows and pushes against those sails, He can move us as quickly and as surely as He wants to. So the means of grace, which we've described as the Word, the sacraments, prayer, Christian fellowship, they're like the sails that God's Spirit uses to draw us closer to him. A few weeks ago, Matt spoke on the word. The word uh, mediates this word, God's word, mediates his presence to us because it talks about Jesus. Last week, we talked about preaching. Preaching is an extension of uh, the word as a means of grace because it's God's continuous offer of Christ to us. This morning, we're going to talk about worship. Not that worship is a means of grace in and of itself, but worship is the context or the category that God places all these means of grace in front of us so that the Holy Spirit can use those means of grace to renew us and to build us up in confidence, to give us rest and to unite us more and more to the finished work of Jesus Christ. So we can talk about worship as um, this hour. Even we can talk about worship as the importance of the Lord's Day, and they are all very important. But for our purposes this morning, when we talk about worship, we're talking about the necessity of entering into God's presence. That's what this hour is all about. Now, you can be with God in all sorts of places, and it is true. But this hour is special because God promises to meet with us in his means of grace. And we meet with the living God this morning. That's what the shorter catechism means when when the answer to the first question, what is man's primary purpose or what is his chief end? Man's primary purpose is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. In other words, we're meant to be in the presence of God. 
to rehearse and renew what God has done so that we can be near Him. And it's a really, really big deal. God gives us certain things, certain tools, the Word, preaching, the sacrament that we'll experience this morning, even the songs that we have sung this morning together, they were all about Christ. God gives us these means in order to remember, in order to renew us so that we can be near Him and He can be near us in a special way. This is the way I'm going to summarize our passage this morning. We were created to be with God. We were created to worship, but because we're broken, because we're fractured, or even as Marshall reminded us this morning, because we are sinners, it's hard to enter into God's presence. In fact, apart from faith in Jesus Christ, you cannot enter into God's presence. We don't want to enter into God's presence, and we certainly don't always worship God the way we ought. The problem has never been that God doesn't want to be near us. The problem has always been we don't want to be near God. In fact, God is the one that's always devising means so that we can be near Him because He loves us so much. You see, we still worship, but we worship the wrong things. We worship the wrong things because deep down we know that something's wrong with us. We all have needs that, that we can't meet unless God meets those needs Himself. And because we can't get there on our own, we don't like to spend time with God. And because we don't spend time with God, we really don't like ourselves. And because we don't really like ourselves, we don't really like other people. And because we really don't like other people, we like to go it alone. Our passage addresses all of this. In fact, the way I would summarize this passage is the author to the Hebrews says, draw near to God, cling to his promises in hopeful expectation and love and serve other things. And the reason why the author says that we can do all those things is because of what God has done through Jesus Christ. It's really faith, hope, and love. You can say worship, endurance, and serve. But it's all about what we were created to be. So let's look at these first few verses. Look at, uh, I'm going to read 19 again through just the first part of 22. Therefore, the therefore is there because he is reviewing everything that he said in the first nine chapters of Hebrews. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near. You see, the writer... In in the nine previous chapters to this section that we're reading, he's been collecting passages from the Old Testament. He's been calling up ideas and images and events that have occurred in the past to explain who Jesus is. And he begins by saying Jesus Christ is the radiance of God's glory. He's the exact imprint of his nature. He even upholds the universe by the power of his word. In other words, this Jesus is fully divine. But he doesn't stop there. He says, this Jesus, he's taken on flesh. He's been made like his brothers and his sisters in every way, yet without sin. 
So he's fully man. And, and Christ has, as fully God and fully man, he's offered himself as the fully acceptable sacrifice, which has turned away God's wrath, covered our sin, so that we can now come close to God and enter into his presence. That's what we've already celebrated this morning. So my first question to you to think about this morning is, what is your greatest need? Another way to to, to ask yourself that question is, why did you come to church this morning? Look, I, I was thinking about why I used to come to church when I was young. Some of you may have come can't see you. I don't have my glasses, so I don't know how old you are out there. But if you're younger and unmarried, you may have, maybe you're older and and, and unmarried, but maybe you've come to meet a guy or a girl. Good for you. I hope you meet that guy or that girl. Maybe some friends brought you. Good for your friends, right? It's a good thing. Maybe you want to feel better. I always want to feel better. Maybe it's because you feel obligated. You have a duty. It's true, by the way. Much as we hate to say it, um, if God is God, we have a duty to worship him. But in the back of your mind, why did you come to church this morning? What do you think it is that is your greatest need? Regardless of how old you are, what's your greatest need? You know, in the Gospels, when those men brought their paralytic friend to Jesus, what did Jesus do? What's the first thing that he said? He said, take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And, and if you read the text, it's almost as an afterthought, or it's almost because of what other people were thinking, that he actually healed the man physically. It's not that he didn't think our physical needs were important. It's that Jesus knew that our greatest need was the forgiveness of sins. What we need more than anything else is for our sins to be forgiven. And I want to tell you why. Because the shame and guilt of sin is the burden that keeps us from God's presence, and we all have it. The shame and the guilt of sin is the burden that keeps us from entering into God's presence. This is our greatest need, and what the writer to the Hebrews is saying is that we can now confidently, boldly, yes, seriously, yes, soberly, enter into God's presence. He says we can enter into God's presence through a new and living way, through Jesus Christ, through his body and blood, because our hearts have been sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. And we can come with true hearts, with real hearts, in full assurance of faith. Because of what God has done in Jesus Christ. Our sins in Christ have been forgiven. Do you believe that? 
because I was sharing with the elders this morning as we prayed for this service that I was reminded how easy it is to forget. I don't like it that my greatest needs are my sins to be forgiven. My greatest need is for my sins to be forgiven. And I don't even remember all the time that that's what Jesus came to do. Do you have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ? Do you believe that your sins are forgiven? Because in this passage, Jesus, the Son of God, is described as our great priest. He's a superior priest compared to before. And priests in the old days were mediators, right? They represented God to the people. They represented people to God. But they also guarded the holy place. Because not anyone can enter into the presence of God. And it's not that God doesn't want to be near us. It's that an unholy people cannot meet with a holy God without being destroyed. So what would happen in the old days is that a would-be worshiper would bring a sacrifice to the priest. It would be a goat, it would be a ram, it would be a bull, it would be anything. The priest would receive the sacrifice on behalf of the person that wanted to be near God or knew that to be near God it needed to be a sacrifice to pay the penalty for the sin. And he would kill that animal and he would take the blood and he'd pour it on the altar and he'd sprinkle the blood on the person so that the person would be covered by the blood of the sacrifice so that that person could then enter in and be acceptable to God. It's what we were created to do, to be with God. And I do realize that it's a little different in our world today, is it not? Maybe we don't think we really need God that much. Maybe we don't really think that we're that bad because if we're that bad, then we really do need forgiveness and we don't want forgiveness. Or, or maybe we'll create our own God, something more like us, so that it's easier Or we redefine God so that we can meet him on our own terms. But you know that there's all sorts of practical problems with that. Because if we don't need God, then why are so many of us so unhappy at least some of the time? Why do we get bored, as Walker Percy says? Why are we so busy distracting ourselves? How come we have such a hard time loving and serving other people? All you have to do is turn on the TV and and watch the political discourse of this great country, right? We're not very happy people. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or a Republican. We're not very happy. Or maybe we just then decide because we know that there's something wrong, we'll just create our own gods, but... Once we create our own gods, whatever it is that we think we want most in life, when we finally get them, they don't really deliver, do they? I call it the Leah effect. You know what I'm talking about, Leah? First wife of Jacob. You remember this story? Jacob loves Rachel. Leah, not so much. He thinks he marries Rachel. He wakes up in the morning and he says, oh no, Leah. We shoot for something in our lives that we think that's going to make us happy and then when we finally get it, it doesn't deliver. So if God is God, then doesn't he determine who he is and and how he should be worshipped? 
And the beauty of our passage this morning is that it tells us that God has done it. It's a new and better way. It's a new and living way. It's a way in which we can actually come into God's presence with boldness. Because Jesus is the most excellent high priest, because he's made the most excellent sacrifice, he's offered up himself as the perfect sacrifice. The divine Son of God takes on flesh through his incarnation, and he makes peace with God through his blood. Because of that, we can confidently come into his presence. We're no longer excluded from the presence of God. We can boldly enter into the presence of God, not by any merit of our own, but by the merit of Jesus Christ. And the most important question that you should hear from us over and over and over again is do you believe that your sins have been forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ? Because that's your greatest need. Realize that everything else in this passage that we're about to talk about hinges on whether or not Jesus Christ has died for you and your sins have been forgiven. Whether or not you have placed your trust in Jesus Christ. Because you don't have any hope without this and you certainly can't love anybody else the way you're supposed to love them without the forgiveness of sins. Mark Jones, who's a New Testament scholar up in in Canada, he says this, Hope is faith's excitement, and love is faith's patience. Everything, your hope and your love, flows from your faith in Jesus Christ, and whether or not your greatest need has been met in the forgiveness of sins. Because we have a great high priest who has forgiven us, the author says, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. There's just two things here. Hold fast the confession of our hope. What is it that is going to give you the power, the energy, the resources to do whatever it is you're going to have to do in the coming weeks, let alone the rest of your life. Because if you've lived any amount of time on this earth, next week will probably bring some troubles that you're not prepared to deal with. Because life is not easy. You may have a good week. You may have a good next year. But at some point in time, something is going to hurt. What is your hope in? Why are so many people hopeless about the future? What is going to help us persevere to keep going to endure? Because I will tell you, if it's you or something that you can look to that's been created or if it's someone else or something that, can't, that can be taken away, you don't have any long-term hope. But if you have a God who has died for you, the one who, in spite of all our failures, is still there for you, there is hope for tomorrow, because as our text says, the one who promised is faithful. Well, we, we read it in our assurance of, of, uh, our assurance of, of confession, our assurance of faith, right? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? You see, the presence of God through the blood of Jesus Christ gives us hope for tomorrow. And here's what I want to say to you this morning. It really doesn't matter how you came in these doors this morning. It does to some degree. But you know what is more important? How you leave here this morning. It's not how you come, but how you leave that matters most. And what is it that you are going to place your hope in when you walk out those doors? Hope is faith's excitement. Who doesn't want hope? Love is faith's patience. Who doesn't want to love? Because the second thing, not only hope, but let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. What is, what is it that's not only going to give you the power, the energy, and the resources to not only love the people that you like, but love your enemies? What's going to give you the desire to love even your enemies? I mean, let's be, let's be real, real, I mean, let's be real concrete. We're about to come up on an election year. And those, you watch the news and everybody seems to be really, really mad. And if you're a Clinton supporter and you're a Christian, you're called to love people that like Donald Trump. And if you're a, a, a Donald Trump supporter and you think Clinton is wicked and you're a Christian, You're called to love those people that will vote for Hillary Clinton. If you don't believe, if you don't understand that God has loved you so much when when the enmity between him and you was far greater than the enmity between Trump and Clinton... God loved you so much that He sent His Son to die for you so that His blood could cover you, so that you could be forgiven all your sins, so that you could enter into His presence, so that you could have hope, and so that you could love other people. Look, it's, it's even here. Look, I was talking to somebody in the back. I won't, I won't use his name. I might have forgotten it. It's been interesting coming in the doors here trying to learn all your names. I don't feel too bad because Hal's still trying to learn your names. (laughs) But when I ask somebody that's been here for years, hey, what's that guy's name? You know what they say to me sometimes? I can't remember. We say things like, I should know him. I do know him. But I really haven't talked to him. And I'm embarrassed to go up to him and tell him that I can't remember his name. Why are we embarrassed? Because we're broken. We're fractured. We think that, hey, you might actually think I'm a dork because I can't remember your name. And I don't want you to think that I am as dorky as I am. If I really believed 
or as much as I believe, then my greatest need, which is the forgiveness of sins, has been taken away from me. And I can stand before a holy God and not be afraid. I can certainly come up to you after I've known you three years and say, I'm really sorry, but I can't remember your name. Still love me in spite of that. There is no shame in us when the blood of Christ covers our sins. And it is the most powerful thing to know that there is nothing can separate us from our Creator because Jesus Christ is the new and living sacrifice that sits at the right hand of God that intercedes for us and says, how will I not also give Him everything else He needs because I've already given Him my Son? He's mine and I am His. God says to you, you are mine, and you say, I am his, if the blood of Christ has covered you. What is your greatest need? If you believe that Jesus Christ has met that need, you have hope that can't be taken away, and you can truly love and serve other people. Here's the point that I'm making here this morning. What we need most as human beings, what we've been created for, is to be with God. And I know that we don't all say it like that. We may not all realize it. But you you do realize that every thinking human being that's been quoted has really pointed out the fact that we don't have everything that we need here on this earth, whether they're Christian or non-Christian. You do realize that. Everybody that's worth reading understands that point. St. Augustine, what man needs most is to love and to be loved. Albert Camus, who is an absurdist, right? He believed life was absurd. This is a quote. The search for meaning will have to be enough even though it isn't. Immanuel Kant, for what can I hope? Here's an atheist. I won't mention his name because I don't want to embarrass him because it's so ridiculous. Let us teach generosity and altruism because we're born selfish and life needs to be a little bit more than that. That didn't get it for me. Here's one for fun. Monty Python. Let's just try and be nice to people. We need love. We need hope. And it all comes from the forgiveness of sins through the blood of Jesus Christ, His self-offering of Himself to God the Father. And we need help, which is why the text ends this way. Do not neglect to meet together as is the habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Look, I used to not be a pastor, so I can say this. Before I was a pastor, I knew that the most important thing for me to do on Sunday morning, I didn't always do it, but I knew that the most important thing for me to do on the Lord's Day and the most important thing for my family on the Lord's Day is to gather together with other brothers and sisters in Christ and be reminded of the forgiveness of sins in the Word, in the preaching of the Word, in the singing, and in the Lord's Supper. 
Because God wants us here in worship, because what happens here among us in the assembly of the saints, it's all about the means of grace. It's all about those sails that we lift up that the Holy Spirit uses to move us closer to Christ. Events and things that God has provided so that we will remember, so that it will be worked out into our hearts and minds, Jesus Christ. Because what we need most is Him and His blood covering over our sin. And if you don't have faith in the blood of Jesus Christ, you have no hope and you will not be able to love other people like you want to love them. It doesn't matter how you came into these doors this morning. It really doesn't. Not at this point. What matters is how you leave. You, you realize when the Old Testament saints, I want you to grab hold of this picture, and this will be my last point, and we're even going to leave, leave early this morning, okay? So listen to this. When the Old Testament saints left from their assembly of worship, do you know what covered them, literally? Little spots of blood. They would have visible spots of blood on them, reminding them that they were forgiven because of the sacrifice that was offered on their behalf. We don't live, leave here with, with physical spots of blood on us like they used to because the blood of the perfect sacrifice was spilled once and it was enough. Do you believe that you're covered with the blood of Christ? Look, in a minute, Rob's going to come up and he's going to lead us in the Lord's Supper. It's a reminder of the blood of Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And don't be tempted here just because you haven't lived the life that you wanted to live not to come to the table. What enables you to come to the table is to remember that you've been forgiven of your sins by the blood of Jesus Christ, and you just want more of it. Not that it hasn't been finished, but you want to be reminded more and more and more and more that your greatest need has been met in Jesus Christ. And when you take the cup and you take the bread, you walk out, and God has promised to use that. And you just had to believe it. Like I said, this sermon worked on me this week. Because it's so easy to forget that my, that my greatest need has already been met. And we get another taste of that in a minute. So let's prepare for it now, even as I pray.